Welcome to the AJP Heart and Cirque podcast. I'm Kara Hansel-Kehan. Today we'll discuss a new study by Senthil Kumar et al. titled 17 Beta Estradiol Promotes Sex-Specific Dysfunction in Isolated Human Arterioles. This rapid report was published January 6, 2023. Joining us today are our podcast moderator, Dr. Dan Tyrell, lead author, Dr. Julie Freed, and expert, Dr. Chi Feng Li. Let's get started. Dan? Thank you. So today we are here with uh, Dr. Julie Freed and Dr. Chi Feng Li to discuss the function of estradiol uh, on human microvessels. And in this article, the authors demonstrate that exogenous estradiol treatment of microvessels promotes endothelial dysfunction in vessels isolated from both young and older women. And in men, uh, estradiol leads to endothelial and smooth muscle dysfunction. Um, And this is important uh, because given the recent timely change at AJP, Heart, and CERC that now requires authors to consider uh, sex as a biological variable, this study is specifically focused on sex differences in microvascular function. My first question is for Julie. Um, I'm curious, can you tell us how this study was conceived and just provide some context um, on how your laboratory got started doing these functional studies in human microvasculature? Uh, yes, I absolutely can. First, thanks for having me. This is uh, It's really nice to have your work recognized and, and to be able to talk about it. It's one thing to get it published, but then to have a discussion about it afterwards, I think is is really important. And this is a particularly important discussion because how it got started. I'm a female and I'm in my 40s. And so although we don't want to get into the the nitty gritty details about what happens to females in their 40s, it's inevitable, right, that, that you know, all females go through menopause at some point in their life. And to be honest with you, there was a, a point during the lockdown, during the pandemic, where the lab was shut down, we're all at home. And I spent so much time reading. I was reading about myself personally. I was reading about the lab. And as scientists, we get so busy. Uh, we don't always have that kind of time, you know, to take a time out and just read. And so I started reading about estrogen and my risk and what's going to happen. And I was frankly appalled. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go through menopause. And my cardiovascular risk is going to ex- exponentially increase. I'm like, okay, what is that going to mean for me? And then I was reading how women who take oral contraceptives, and full disclosure, I've taken those in my past, right? <laughs> so I also have increased risk for, for CV uh, disease race, you know, related to that. And again, just kind of surprised that we, there's just so much we don't know about the effect of estrogen on our risk, particularly in the microvasculature. So a lot of studies have shown that your microvasculature becomes dysfunctional well before you have cardiovascular disease. And again, this was, this was really a, a critical knowledge gap. We just didn't know. So I'm reading all about estrogen, thinking about what we do in the lab, excited to get back to the lab. Again, we were in lockdown. And I read that estrogen, of course, everything in the literature, not everything, but most things in the literature, just talk about the positive effects of estrogen, right? Oh, it increases nitric oxide. It helps vascular function. That's why when we go through menopause, you know, we have this increased cardiovascular risk. It kind of all made sense. But then I found that estrogen may activate this enzyme called sphingosine kinase. And we study sphingolipids in our laboratory. And so I thought, oh, okay, this makes sense. So maybe estrogen is activating this enzyme. 
it's increasing this important lipid called S1P, which we study. And we know that S1P has beneficial effects on the vasculature. I'm like, okay, so it's all making sense. So we finally get back into the lab after the pandemic. And we start these studies uh, thinking that giving the estrogen might provide some protection against external stress. Again, estrogen is so great. We started giving the estrogen to microvessels from females. And lo and behold, my technician comes to me and says, I think we have a problem. <laughs> it's causing dysfunction instead. And so as a PI, you go through the five stages of grief because you're like, what, you know, what's going on? Is my hypothesis that wrong? Or what are we doing here? And so I said, go back and do it again, right? Because that's what we do. We say, just go back and repeat it. And so she came back to me and said, nope, it's, it's pretty consistent. And so we shelved it, right? Because that's the other thing you do when you, you're just not quite sure what's going on. I said, okay, let's just take a pause from this. Let's put the data aside. Let's, you know, think about it a little bit. Uh, and then I had a, a very enthusiastic graduate student come into the lab, Gopika Santhu Kumar. She's the first author on this paper. So she comes into the lab ready to tackle anything. And she said, hey, how did the estrogen stuff go? I said, oh, funny story. <laughs> you know, I was wrong. <laughs> you know, it turns out we're wrong sometimes in science. And she said, oh, well, do you want me to you know, pick this back up? And I said, sure, you know, see what you could do with it. And she came to me and said, you know, yeah, I'm getting the same results. So that makes you feel good too, right? That at least the results are reproducible with, with two different operators. So something, something was definitely a muck here. You know, the dose we used is a dose that... You know, plenty of people have shown increases nitric oxide and does beneficial things. So we were a little confused. And then, of course, she said, well, what do you think if we gave it to arterials from men? And I said, oh, sure. I see what, you know, what we're getting at here. And of course, we do have the transgender population that we have to think about. And I said, sure, why don't you go ahead and do that as well? And so although the results are pretty descriptive, we're grateful for these sort of rapid reports because there is something going on here. Um, do we have all the answers yet? No, but um, we're going to figure this out. I think it's really interesting, especially how projects start. And when things go against your hypothesis, I think it's, it is easier to put it away <laughs> and think about Shelf it. it. <laughs> and I think sometimes that's exciting because if you always yeah. are finding things that kind of align with your the incremental march of science, then it's not so interesting as much. But if you find something that goes completely against it, it's really interesting, but you have to do a lot more work to probably convince people. Yeah. So I'm curious, I have, I have one kind of quick question for you, Julie. Did, did you guys start with the time frame, like that 16, 17 hour treatment, or did you have to play with the treatment time to, to land on that? Yeah, it, it really was kind of a quick and dirty. We wanted to give it for as long as possible because that really does what we do, right? We take oral contraceptives every day, right? We take hormone therapy every day. We don't use it acutely you probably wouldn't feel too good. So we thought, well, why don't we just give it for 16 to 20 hours? That's pretty much the limit of our chronic studies in the human microvessels. We, it's pretty hard to give it for much longer than that. So we're kind of stopped, you know, right at that time point. Could we give it more acutely? Sure. I'm not quite sure um, what it would have told us. We know that if you give estrogen really acutely, it actually causes dilation. You can, in, you know, increase nitric oxide and it's a vasodilator. But for this case, we said, well, we want to give it just how a woman would be experiencing it, which is chronically. Okay. That's yeah, that's interesting. So I'm curious um, for Chi Fung, what do you think happens to these micro vessels in that 16 hour time window? I, I know I can't ask you to <laughs> predict exactly what uh, is happening, but I guess in general terms, whether you think uh, activation of receptors or structural changes or anything kind of like that. Yeah, I think uh, the 
the signaling pathway uh, uh, being activated should be there uh, in uh, in this short period of time, sixteen hours, and uh, and I think the um, the paper uh, awfully shows that effect, uh, and there's a sex difference uh, between uh, male and female. So I think um, I think first of all I, I really want to uh, congratulate Dr. Free uh, for the work uh, from her team at the uh, Medical College of Wisconsin. And uh, to me, I think a few of things I want to highlight about uh, this manuscript. The microvascular function in, uh, described in this manuscript uh, was measured, collected from a human sample. I think that's uh, very fascinating. And the data just has a, a very high clinical relevance. Although, as Dr. Freed said, uh, it may be a little bit descriptive, but uh, this is from, uh, directly from human. So, and uh, the data also very nicely uh, analyzed to identify uh, sex difference and age differences. So, uh, which is uh, um, very well to the uh, ongoing theme uh, uh, with AJP HAD uh, on uh, stress on uh, sex difference uh, uh, reports. And uh, also, uh, I'm very impressed by the uh, N number. Uh, you can you're able to collect from the human sample uh, up to almost twenty uh, from from some of the study, and uh, I'm actually very curious. Have a uh, question uh, for Doctor Free. And how long does it take to collect all the sample? And how long does it take to collect one sample and do the experiment? Uh, and uh, I think that is uh, something that is uh, very re relevant to um, to your data. Uh, whether um, the data that is how you treat your samples uh, every single day. Yeah, we get that question so frequently. Yes, Tis human tissue banking is a little complex as you can imagine. And it all depends, right? So, so I guess, let me describe to you the bank kind of characteristics a little bit. You know, we, we sit here waiting for discarded, true discarded tissue from the operating room. And you don't know when it's coming. You know, we see the operating room schedule ahead of a time and we can maybe guess and anticipate maybe when we would get a discarded tissue. But really, you're just kind of sitting here at the mercy of the operating room remembering that, oh, this patient has consented for the tissue bank, and we're going to go ahead and send this tissue. Some weeks, you can get, you can get 15, 20 tissues, right? If the operating room is busy and surgical volumes are up, and at certain times of the year, they are, usually towards the end of the year. Uh, and there are certain times of the year where it's lower, and we're sitting around, and we get maybe two or three tissues a week. So it, it fluctuates. And then when you get a tissue, it, it depends on the size. You can get a, you know, a, a piece of tissue the size of a quarter, and you can get 10 vessels out of that. It can be very vascularized. Or you can get a really big piece, maybe from an abdominoplasty, that doesn't really seem to be very vascular at all. <laughs> so you think, oh, wow, we get this big tissue, um, but we're very limited by the number of vessels that we get from it. So I would say it's very highly variable as far as, as what we get. When we do get the tissue, we use it within 24 to 48 hours. We don't want to just sit it in the fridge. We have to use it rather quickly. And then, uh, like I mentioned, that you know, the treatments chronically, it's 16 to 20 hours again because we are limited to to how long we can do these studies. I have a a follow up question, kind of related to that. I'm curious, what is the most common surgical procedure that you get? Maybe get good tissues out of, and then does that have any impact that you can tell on? the microvascular function of the tissue or of the uh, experimental uh, procedure downstream? Yeah, great question. Um, so I would say I get really excited when there's a lot of cardiac surgery going on at MCW because those sternotomies, you know, they open up the chest and it's our United States population. There's a lot of obese people out of there. 
and there's a lot of pericardial adipose and the surgeons, it gets in their way. And so they end up clipping off some pieces and that's what we get. And pericardial adipose, very vascular, a lot of nice vessels in there. Um, and like I said, you can get a, a really rather large piece from someone who's having an abdominal plasty and get very few vessels. So, but, but sometimes it turns out. So it's um, pericardial adipose happens to be my personal favorite. But of course, we get, you know, adipose tissue or fat from all sorts of kinds of surgeries. Uh, and as far as them acting differently, we document that, whether it's subcutaneous fats versus visceral versus peritoneal, we'll, we'll, we'll document it. But up until now, we really haven't seen, I would say, any significant differences in how they behave between each other. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. It's nice to have a favorite vascular. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So this one's for Chi Fung. So I'm curious, uh, what implications do you think the findings of this study have for people who are living out in the world where women experience estrous cycles and menopause and also modify uh, modified hormone levels through birth control or hormone um, replacement therapies? So um, I think it won't uh, directly uh, have a uh, implicate uh, to their uh, women in the hormone therapy, because uh, as you can see, the, uh, the patient population collected from this uh, study uh, is not related to the, uh, those uh, with uh, hormone therapy. So um, I think additional work uh, is needed to further uh, maybe gather a population of uh, uh, women with uh, uh, or, or people with the uh, hormone therapy will be needed uh, to further establish physiological impact as discussed in this uh, paper. I think that's a really good point. And I, it also leads me to another question is for Julie, I'm curious, do you have any follow-up studies in the works? Um, maybe not clinical trials, but anything you're thinking of in the future for how to take this further? Absolutely. Uh, so Another nice mechanism in science, when you when you see something descriptive like this that was unfunded research, the NIH has given us um, a supplement to study this further as well, which we're really grateful for. Because again, this was kind of a side project. And and on the phone with them, they're like, well, what do you think is happening? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> That's just it. So, yeah, you know, the whole point of this is we got to figure this out. But, but when your hypothesis is wrong, it's really hard to kind of figure out, okay, where do I start? And so, yes, we're, there are a couple of things we have discussed. And again, we do have that supplement now. We're going to be looking at some mechanistic things, studies, of course, taking it to our favorite group of lipids, the sphingolipids, but really kind of trying to look at, you know, the effect of estrogen as far as continuous exposure versus pulsed exposure. So that's a hot concept in our lab right now that we're, we're looking into is, you know, nothing in nature is static, right? When you think about it, when you're static, you're dead. And so we know that estrogen fluctuates naturally. Um, is it just that? Is it just that women who are continually taking estrogen straight, you know, is that the problem? So um, we're going to be kind of taking that kind of approach and looking at timing of estrogen. That's great. It's great to hear that you have funding to do, <laughs> to do more research. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that how, that's how it's supposed to work. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's you have right. an interesting finding and then you can follow it up. Yeah. So I guess uh, my last question to kind of wrap up is one more or less targeted at the trainees who may be listening. So I'm curious from your perspective, what was, and I think we heard a little bit about this, but what was the most difficult part about this study? And did you have any unanticipated challenges? And then how did you kind of move past those? Because we know a lot of trainees in the lab obviously run into these types of issues every day. Um, and I think it might help to provide some context of, 
um, how an experienced scientist can view these problems and then move past them. Yeah, and I think you just hit it because we already kind of touched on and some of these things, and I hope that a lot of trainees do listen to this podcast because you have me sitting here saying, you know, I, I formed a hypothesis. I was wrong. Uh, but I had a truly outstanding scientific mentor, David Gutterman, who is now retired. But David always taught me, you know, identify those those key knowledge gaps, but ask a question where the outcome either way is going to have an impact on the field. And I think that's what we always strive to do, right? And so if I had a, a message for all the trainees, it's number one, don't be married to your hypothesis. In other words, <laughs> you know, if you're wrong, it's okay. You know, let it go. Uh, but hopefully, again, the way you've asked the question, the outcome will will advance the field in some sort of way. And I think that's really important. It's hard to do. Sometimes it's, it's really difficult to do. But if you can do that and advance the field, I think it's that's phenomenal. That's what we should be striving for. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And I think sometimes you get some more interesting findings that way, like what you've shown here in this in this paper. So um, I just want to thank Julie and Chi Fung for joining the podcast. I think we had a great discussion about this recent article. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the AJP Heart and Zerk podcast. Our theme music was written and performed by Ray Mitchell. Catch the latest episodes of our podcast at physiology.org slash journal slash AJP Heart.